0: This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild harvested red meat on the market. An operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to mauinuivenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank you for tuning in today for another episode. Today's guest is a monastic monk that worked directly under the master himself, Thich Han. Now, I was fortunate enough to cross paths with Brother Phap Vu a little over a year ago when I was away at a meditation retreat. I got some alone time with him and some conversation that allowed me to really turn a corner in my own path at the mindful movement here we we preach positive mindset and how to cultivate that how to find inner peace and all things related to self-healing his wisdom is robust and offers something for all those categories and he really embodies it and it's been a real pleasure to meet him and this conversation was something i've really been looking forward to and i hope you guys enjoy
2: Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for joining me today for another episode. I am truly grateful for you turning in, tuning in and listening. I have a very special guest today. It's not often that you get to speak uh, face-to-face or via the interwebs with a monastic. But I have Brother Phap Vu here, ordained by Thich Nhat Hanh back in 2003 as a monastic. And I am really excited about this conversation. I will later uh, tell the audience really how I got in touch with you, Brother Vu, and what our meeting has done for me personally. But first I'd like you can just introduce yourself to the audience, say hello, and we'll go from there.
3: Hello. <laughs> okay, introduce myself. Mm. I, I think to introduce myself is to, to look at my past as a path, as a practitioner and both as a lay practitioner and and as a monastic. Um, I don't think I'll go into my childhood, (laughs) unfortunately for everyone. But uh, I, you know, I I was introduced to Buddhism in in school, in in a college course when I was a young man. and, uh, in, in a, you know, the typical comparative religious class. And I thought, hmm. Right. And so it, it kind of stuck with me. And I read a few things about Buddhism and was quite interested. And then somewhere along the line in the 90s, uh, mid-90s, uh, I decided, hey, I'm going to try meditation. I'm going to actually practice these teachings, and that that sort of prompted my my um, sparked my path. And what that initial spark was, I have no idea. I just sort of I just woke up one day, perhaps, and hey, I want to try this and see what happens. It was it was like a great experiment. And that's kind of how my life still is, a great experiment. And um, so I began to practice. I got a couple books on meditation. You know, this is uh, before all the retreat centers and monasteries and many monasteries and temples had yet to manifest. And um, so I got some books. And so I I sat down to meditate and I had, I I used an alarm clock for 10 minutes, you know, and I remember very distinctly, it was torturous. (laughs) Sitting down for five, for 10 minutes at that time in my life, it was torturous. Um, And, and so, but I, but I kept with it and I just said, well, let's see where this leads. You know the, the the teachings talk about overcoming suffering and getting beyond suffering, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's see where this leads. And so I would just sit down, you know, read a few more books, and um, sit down and set the clock for a little longer, a little longer, a little longer, and and um, it of course got easier, right that's what happens with practice. You, you start off, things are kind of rocky and sure. And then, um, it, uh, things begin to manifest. <clears throat> so somewhere along the line there, another brief awakening, perhaps I should go, I should, go, I should go find a place to practice so I can have a teacher of some sort. And I had no idea. And so I did what most people would do at the time. I looked in the yellow pages under Buddhism for a local (laughs) temple. That's funny. And uh, I wound up in a a Chinese Chan tradition, uh, which was not far from my home where I was living. And there I was very introduced to Buddhism. Uh, They had Three monastics there and, and pr- a pretty vibrant lay community, both Chinese, definitely Chinese, and and um, a lay community. Where was uh, this? Can I ask? Uh, yeah, it's in you? San Diego. Okay. San Diego, San Diego, California. And um, so I just, I just hung out there and did the temple thing, you know, frustrations, chanting and meditation. And um, it was... Terrific. I, I, we also did sutra studies, which is, uh, was awesome. And, um, so I just continued with that. And in that tradition, uh, I decided again, spontaneously, somehow I decided, Hey, what's this monastic life thing about? And so I started to explore that. And I went on a, a couple, retreats a uh, couple of traditions uh, with the intention of looking at becoming a monastic you know ch- checking it out
2: can i back up one second you mentioned sutra yeah. studies what does that refer to so
3: taking the, sut- the the teachings of the uh, teachings of buddhism are are called sutras okay right and so you would read them and take a look at them and uh, and there's this kind of two routes to go. Maybe they're not so divided, but you know, sort of this academic approach. Um, but there's also this approach of taking them and applying them and see how they touch your life, right? And, and the, those two aren't necessarily separate paths or separate ways to go. They can be intertwined, but, um, so a bit, of, a bit of mixture of both. You know, application, but also a little uh, the question of well, what does this really mean? Right, even even looking at the language and different translations. So, looking at the sutras, the teachings, and um, so that was my quest on becoming a monastic, and eventually. I decided, and I had become an aspirant for a short time in the, in the Chinese tradition that I was in. And it didn't, it wasn't working um, for one reason or another. And um, so I went on my way. And finally, um, someone said, hey, there's gonna be a monk down in Balboa Park. Balboa Park to San Diego is a bit like Central Park to New York. It's the, the urban city. It's very large, and that's where you find the uh, San Diego Zoo and et cetera. So, you know, we don't get too many gymnastics through San Diego. And so I said, okay, sign me up. I'm going to go. So it was a day of mindfulness in Balboa Park with the venerable master Chiknath Hot and um, very impressed. I saw a host of monastics. Many of them were actually Westerners. Uh, That was rather important to me. Uh, I wanted, I was interested in the Western expression of Buddhism. And so eventually I visited their newly opened, the newly opened Deer Park in Escondido, which is north. San Diego, and um, I ended up staying. You know, it 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 was seemed like the right place at the right time, and eventually I went to Plum Village, the main monastery where Venerable Master Thich Nhat Hanh was living, and uh, went there, practiced, was ordained, and here I am today.
2: So, what was that timeline from the let's say from the time you met or first saw Thich Nhat Hanh in San Diego in a park to the point where you get ordained by this master
3: what is that that was fairly what? rapid that was less than two years oh wow yeah less than two years yeah
2: uh that must it sounds like that must have been a, a real submersive experience then to
3: Cover that ground
2: in that time frame.
3: Yeah, yeah. You know, people, you know, I talk about my my transition to monastic life. And people think it's this really huge transition. And from the outside, it looks like that. And when I think about it, yeah, it kind of seems like that. But the actual experience, it just seems things just flowed it's sort of like, I kind of referred to it as sort of like rather like putting on an old pair of sneakers, you know? It it didn't seem like a big transition to me. The ceremony to become a monastic is a big thing. I mean, there's there's a lot of emotion. Uh, it's, It's, you know, this highly ritualized, that was a big thing. That was a great experience. Joy and terror, Joy and terror at the same time.
2: <laughs> so what During, was it that drew, that drew you to that initially? I mean, what was it about the experience or the teachings that you felt like this is the right place for me at this time in my life?
3: Why did I become a monastic? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I could answer that in many different ways. And I have. Um, but when I really analyze it, I haven't a clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, because a lot of time the, the human mind comes up with rationalizations and justifications and these uh, these logic and rational constructs after the happening. Right? Um, it's just something you into it. There's something that comes from inside that says this path is the correct path. And it has nothing to do with logic or reason. But you just, if you're, if you're open to that, sort of like the signposts of life, you might say, some sort of a metaphor that inner voice, maybe, that says I should go in this direction. It seems right. That's great.
2: So I, I would love, I know that you have a good amount of understanding in that mind of yours and a lot to share and a gift that I feel like our listeners could find value and help. Um, Maybe creating like a framework or going over some concepts that could help the everyday person like learn a new tool to, to help like navigate their own journey, especially when we all could probably use maybe a little more freedom on the inside when there's a lot of things outside of our control going on around us. Uh, but first I would like to take a moment and I guess share with the audience how I uh, bumped into you and what it has done for me. I um for for my list for most of my listeners, they probably know I I run a gym and the day job is kind of a, a movement coach, a personal trainer, and one of my clients has been um, I guess well submerged in the meditation practice for quite some time and was holding some retreats at her mountain house in uh, West Virginia and. I went out there for a five day silent retreat and you were running the retreat uh, essentially at her and she was the host. And that was the first, uh, even though going into that, I had some experience with meditation a good bit as far as a, a regular practice, but never really ventured out into a retreat. And I found it really impactful and I was fortunate enough and I, one of the things that drove me there, it was um, about a year or two into a, a pretty nasty uh, physical illness that I was dealing with. Well, at the time, I thought it was just physical put it that way. And, um, and I was looking for answers and doing like everything I could to try to heal. And I felt I needed to get away. And my client, Abby, was kind of nudging me. To, to come out there. So I went out there and along the way, I got a little bit of private time with you. You were doing um, like, I guess a, a private consult. And I remember sitting on this just, you know, beautiful setting overlooking this valley in the mountains on her, on these, you know, cool rocking chairs on her, on her deck. And I remember you looking at me and, and you know, first I vented, you know, you're you were patiently waiting for me to tell you all my problems and I vented a little bit. And, you know, you got an idea of maybe why I was there. Um, and, and you said something along the lines of, well, what if you don't get better? And it was so great because I, I, you know, that stuck with me for a while and it made me realize like, what if I don't get better? Like, how do I want to live? How do I want to experience this life? Do I want it to be dictated by, you know, these physical going, going-ons going in my body? Like, if you're going to be well or you're going to be sick, or you want to be miserable or you want to be happy? Do you want it to be based on what, do you want your happiness, your freedom to be based on that? And it, it made me think, like, here I am waiting to get healthy so that I could be happy. And it made me kind of reframe the conversation, in my mind of, maybe I need to practice becoming happy, and maybe that will help me move towards a greater sense of health and well-being, which turned out, I think, to be the case in, in some ways. But just having that question that I would have never posed myself, you know, was so beneficial, even though in the moment when you said it, I'm, you know, I'm like, well, that's not what I want to hear. What do you mean, I'm not? what if I don't get better? <laughs> but, you know, it there was like a built-in sense of, um, what's the word, like impermanence kind of built into that question. And like, you, you know, nobody's getting out of here alive kind of thing. Like, how do you want to be? You want to enjoy this or you want to be miserable? And I found that really helpful. And... I want First, I want to thank you for taking that time on that on that patio, that porch with me that day. Um, that's a lesson that I'll carry forever. And since then, it passed along and it's helped others. So I'm honored to just be able to be a conduit for lessons like that from, from minds like yours. But in that same, um, I guess, with that thought in mind, you know, everybody right now is going through some sense where there's either loss, whether it's a loss of a loved one or routine or just some aspect of the life or the loss of seeing joy in their child's face because their routines are affected or maybe a loss of income. Um, you know, there's, there's suffering that's going on that's kind of new for a lot of people. It's just a different mm-hmm. style of suffering. And a lot of folks haven't really built a tool set to manage the inner workings as they navigate their life in the midst of all these things that are so quick to to trigger suffering around us. Is there maybe a a starting point that you recommend for people as far as like questions to to ask themselves or frameworks to, to look or ways to perceive what's going on that might help them personally? Maybe. <laughs> that was maybe that was a lot of questions at
3: once. Uh, I I kind of get it. I think um, we live in incert- uncertain times, right? Uh, between the the pandemic, um, you know, layoffs, economic insecurity, um, we have on top of getting sick, possibly dying, right? Um, There's the political situation, which is chaotic, has been chaotic. What happens? Uh, Society becoming more and more, it's either breaking down, it's transforming, and transformation is very difficult sometimes, especially on a societal level. Then we have, uh, the, you know, more and more the images of the police who are supposed to be conduit for help and seeing the, these murders. Um, and the call right and here right now for social justice, which is a work that doesn't seem to be ever ever be done. It's, it's never never done. Social justice is never done. And then we have. Um, things that we've just totally forgotten about, but in the back of our minds, like this huge issue of climate change and climate crisis. You add that on to all these things of the world, all these things of our society, our neighborhoods, right? it affects our neighborhoods, it affects our relationships. It comes down to Everything from society to the world to our own being and our relationships and and the difficulties there, even in the best of times, right? So we've got a lot, as people, we've got a lot going on right now. And um, it, it, it brings me to, when I think about this and I think about my own life, my own practice, It brings to me two important practices or two important aspects. The first one, when I first became a monastic, uh, there was a visiting monk and and I I don't remember who he was. He spoke little English. He was Vietnamese from Vietnam. And um, he sat down with his broken English and he said, What's the most important thing? And I thought about that. And before I could answer, he said, Hmm, the monastery, not the most important thing. Uh, he said, uh, Monastic robes, being monk. Not the most important thing. Right. And he listed a couple of other things. And, and so the question was, you know, okay, back in my mind, of, well, what is the most important? And then, then, then he went to that direction. The most important thing is bodhicitta. Right. One owns true nature. One's own in, lack like of better description, inner being, right. That's the most important thing. Meaning, we are our humanistic landscape that we call a human being, us or self or sense of self, is the most important thing. Right? This Buddha nature is the most important thing. This awakened nature of ours is the most important thing. Um, it's basically all we really have. right? You can lose the house, you can lose your car, you can lose family members, right? Um, economy, jobs. But what's left is, is me as a human being, right? And my well-being. Right? That, that's that's really that's as close as owning anything in our lives, even though we don't really own it. Because eventually it gets sick, it dies, and it doesn't do what I want it to do, especially at this time of my life. Uh, discovery of the body as you get older. Right? So that was, that was one of the first lessons the priority. What, what's the most important? Okay. And the other one was a question that I posed to myself. Uh, years earlier when confronting some of my own difficulties. And it's a simple question of, and you've touched on this, where is my liberation in all this? Here I'm going through all of this. All of this is taking place. I'm frustrated, I'm suffering here. Having these difficulties. Okay. So where's my freedom? Where's the Buddha in all this? Right? That question alone is an important one. Because if we're talking about a starting point in one's life of, of, of finding some happiness and well-being. That's a very good question to begin with, because it challenges your situation. Because amongst all this stuff going on in one's life, it brings you to the question of, okay, this is what's going on, but where is my happiness? Where is my joy, my inner joy, my inner happiness? And we can look at happiness and joy in in two ways, conditioned and unconditioned. Conditioned happiness is when I get things the way I want them, I'll be happy. Right? Line it all up. Give me that chocolate cake and uh, let, me, let me slip into that Maserati and I'll be happy. Right? That's conditioned happy, happiness. And then there's a deeper truth of, to happiness, unconditioned happiness. And this comes from our own energy. Our own capacity, um, our own um, habit energies or formations through our practice, typically And it really this really takes me home to my own teacher, venerable master Thich Nhat Han, in saying that happiness is here and now. Right? Or another catchphrase is happiness is the path. Not the path that leads to happiness, but happiness is the path. Meaning that despite all the stuff we have in our lives, we have the capacity to find some relief in that. And, you know, there's a lot of techniques, mindfulness practice, meditation practice, learning how to look at situations uh, through the eyes of Dharma, uh, seeing the impermanent nature. You know, if things are really crummy, wait a while and they'll change. Um, If things are really wonderful, wait a while because those things will change. For Uh, someone that hasn't tasted that,
2: that is I guess really reliant on the conditional form of happiness and they they don't have a reference point to know that they have a choice to be happy on some level inside regardless of some life situation or something external how do you like how can you convey that to someone that doesn't have a reference point that hasn't taste it or touch it and doesn't have a practice to to say that has already built and they're they want to dip their toe in, but there's they don't even really know there's something
3: there yeah. for them. Right. Right. Yeah. We use the conventional to to touch the ultimate. We use conventional, you know, when you when you start out on the practice, it feels good, right? and and uh well in my case it was a little rough and rocky road but it got there (laughs) Uh, yeah we all start out in that place of the conventional world you know the conventional happiness Uh, happiness based on things okay so i'm practicing on a regular basis this brings me happiness uh, so I, I need to keep practicing in order for that happiness to take place. Or, or this type of practice brings about uh, happiness or joy. Right? And so, yeah, we, we start out on that path of conditional happiness right? in a wholesome way, in an understanding way, uh, seeing things as they are eventually if you keep going and going eventually you get to the place where it's unconditioned it just kind of drops away and you you don't need those conditioned things so it's it's um it's a natural progress it's a natural progression in in the, the light the practiced life
2: it's nice to be able to differentiate those two styles of, of happiness. And I guess once you hear that framework, you could observe the self and start to pose those questions like, you know, am I dependent on this? Am I do I have kind of a an unhealthy relationship with myself in a way that I am yeah. leaning on this external thing to call myself happy on some level?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean monastic life just taking up the monastic life sets you on that course because to become a monastic, you have to give up all your physical stuff. One, right. You you can't take your car to the monastery uh, and we don't have bank accounts at the monastery or everyone doesn't have a cell phone and, and, you know, you give up all your possession and you're there at the gate wanting to be let in.
2: Uh, that's an intense thought just right there like that's like if you pause and just think about what that is when you when somebody looks at themselves and you look around your house or your daily lifestyle and you see how much stuff we we interact with it's it's like uh it's admirable to be able to do that and it's so seems so like outrageous and far-fetched and doesn't it?
1: It does. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I, I got to say, out of everything I, I, I gave up, I think it was my, my Cinelli road bike that was the hardest. Hmm. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I felt that one. <laughs> <laughs> Still burns a little bit? Um, no, not so much. But at the time, it was okay.
2: Prize position.
3: Yeah, and then, but then there's other things to give up. Uh, or to let go to release that's an art within itself uh you know it's now i give up the ideas of the mind right things should be this way i need to have that right so in, in the monastery we, we live according to a schedule you get up early in the morning and, and, and you practice, you go to sitting meditation and chanting, and then your day starts from there and you have a schedule. I don't always want to do the schedule. I don't always want to get up in the morning, right? Um, and so you have this resistance. And then I went from having my own, my own residence to having like two other roommates. Um, Two, which typically wouldn't speak much English or some English Um, or someone whose views I don't, you know, particularly jive with, right? So you're in this community with people you probably would never associate, associate with as a lay person. And so you have to reconcile that, you know? It kind of grows your, you have the capacity, one, to be either miserable and, and trying to get everything your way, or or two, you release that stuff and you develop the beginner's mind, you know, being open. Um, thai has always posed, thai meaning uh, Venerable Master Thich Nhat Hanh, always posed the question, you know, are you sure? Right. Are you sure? And and so giving up preconceived notions, uh, giving up trying to get everything your way, uh, allowing space for other people in your life. Um, yeah, challenging what's going on up here and in, in here. I think probably
2: everybody is guilty at some time of where we we have a narrative based on an experience, and we have a false belief that it's true, like that we're sure yeah. essentially. Yeah. Like, yeah. Am this I is sure? The way it is. Yeah. yeah. Am I sure that that person said this to me because of what I think is the reason they said it or how they behaved? We we have yeah. an idea like we know why, but we really don't.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can give you story after story on uh, this perception, and it that, that that's a that's a good look into our email life.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll read an email and and why did they say that? And then you know I turn it off and it goes through my mind all day. And then I look at the email, relook at it, and well, that's not what they were really saying. And that's just the written word.
0: A lot of
2: non, like non-local communication can't really be expressed. I'm real careful with my emails. Like when people send long emails with a lot of questions, I don't reply to them. I just call, just call me. It's like, I can't craft the words in an email well enough that like the chances of you taking something out of context or misinterpreting my intention is really hot with so many opportunities where if it's like a, a short thing, like what time are we meeting for lunch? You know, it's simple, but yeah, you have to be careful. These technologies can do ourselves harm because it's that big part of communication is lacking and we can't really yeah. c- express our intent nearly as well.
3: Yeah, it's sort of that, that Zen approach of mind to mind or, or a student to teacher or a teacher to student uh, transmission right face to face yeah and you know it's a, a couple thoughts uh, and this has a lot of ram- there's a big ramification in in the the zoom era right uh, Going back to this beginner's mind and that questioning, are you sure? This leads us, this can lead us right back to our own identities and our own being. Am I sure this is all there is, right? We we go through our life with these um, kind of like blinders on. I certainly experienced that to where, you know, okay, well, this is, you don't even think about it, but this is just the way life is. This is the way I am, et cetera, et cetera. Are you sure opens the door to possibilities? Possibilities. And and when I look at images of Buddha, um, and when I approach altars with Buddhas or see one in the garden, those are images of potential, potentiality, right? That's our potential. Um, and, and so that calls into question what, am I, what, what I'm experiencing now, how I am as a human being, is this all there is? I I think those were fundamental questions when we talk about my progression on my path from a lay practitioner uh, to a new lay practitioner to monastic life and and on, and questions about my own nature, my own potential, that question, that's another question that kind of lingers there, you know. Is this all I am? Is this it? And so in in looking at that, this is another direction for practice. And my discovery was no. Yeah. My discovery, no, no. I'm not just these thoughts. I'm not just these this suffering. I'm not just this discomfort. I'm not just a thought blue. And you can go on and on in your life, right? Defining yourself, not by what you are, but what you're not. When you define yourself by what you're not, you have this whole field of possibility before you. It becomes like infinite in a moment. We're infinite. Yes, uh, Tai would say interbeing, right? infinite. That's great.
2: Yeah, and there's a trap people seem to fall in when you you do identify with an experience as if that's you. Yeah. Like uh, like I am depressed, as yeah. opposed to this is the experience. Like this is me experiencing depression depressive thoughts or I'm sad. Right
3: or now. or or even more you take I out of it totally. This is depression. This is there is sadness. There is sadness. There's depression. There is joy. There is there's is happiness. Uh, when we start you know when we keep that I in there it limits it. Yeah. That's yeah a subtle
2: beautiful practice there you yeah. you touched um this is out of just personal curiosity you touched a little bit i'm a i don't know i'm like maybe some would argue obsessed with practicing and like designing a day like how do i compose my minutes throughout the day to create like a lifestyle that
3: Mm-hmm. you know yeah.
2: aligns with something that i value i guess
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you mentioned a little bit like the beginning routine of a day i'm I'm very curious of like what's a day in the life of a monastic like from morning to night like routine like what are the routines and the okay. the staple rituals
3: okay so at the monastery uh if you go to one of the monasteries of the plum village tradition um uh, you the first sitting in the morning is about five thirty or five five, usually five thirty, um, and then after that, it's about an hour, and then after that, there's a little free time then then uh, breakfast, which everyone comes for breakfast and and um, we eat in silence. Um, Typically silence for the first 20 minutes or 30 minutes, something like that, and then a bell is offered and then we uh, can talk if we want, or we get up and and uh, get more food if we want or wash our bowls. Uh, but for the first 20 minutes, we get our food, we, we sit down for 20 minutes and we, we don't get up, we stay seated. And then, after that there's uh, that kind of folds into possibly working meditation one's responsibilities for the community that could be anything from administrative stuff to to um, uh, cleaning the bathrooms or gardening or whatever needs to be done around a monastery yeah. then that folds it usually folds into uh, walking meditation outside. Uh, This is before lunch. And we just gather as a group and go walking together outside, mindfully. Uh, And then that folds into lunch where we read the five contemplations and have our meal. And then... uh, There's a little rest afterwards. And then in the afternoon, it's it could be anything from, if it's needed, more working or meetings or classes, uh, something going on at that period. And that takes us into the evening uh, meditation sessions. Uh, uh, Then after that is noble silence. And typically, free time, personal practice time, and then lights out, and then you do it all over again. <laughs> so that that's a pretty typical retreat schedule. So if you go to the monastery, one of the monasteries, that's pretty much what you would be doing okay. with a practitioner. Yeah.
2: In regards to like the daily work, do people wind up specializing, or do do you kind of alternate the tasks or do people kind of build a skill set where they work the kitchen or they do the gardening or is it more of like a rotation?
3: Well, uh, some things are are rotated like cooking. We all, uh, all the monastics rotate uh, cooking teams for cooking for the day. Uh, But yeah, you have some specializations, you know, like administrative work, Uh, etc maybe someone specializes in taking care of a garden Um, yeah so you get a bit of both Uh,
2: and you do this you live primarily up in it's in
3: vermont well right now i am living in ann arbor okay yeah in a in a, a zen i'm visiting a zen temple in ann arbor Nice. So you, you
2: mentioned when you were earlier, you were speaking about kind of all the goings on in the world right now, you get listing all the, I don't know, for lack of a better word, crap that's around us. Uh, I mean,
3: yeah, it's a good word. Crap. Yeah.
2: Like, how do we, do you, do you feel on some more like macro level that, we as a species or planet are going through some type of, trans. Tra- I think you even use the word like transformation. Like, does this, you know, I hear people say like, I can't wait to get, you know, things get back to normal. And I wonder like, the, the word normal is kind of silly and a moving target, but you know, we've been changing forever since we've got here and it just seems to be more continuation of change. Do you feel like this is any kind of significant, like, pivotal point for the race, the human race as a whole, where we're going through, like, a a global transition of some sort or some type of, I know I hear the reference of, like, you know, the caterpillar to the butterflies. Is this, do you get a sense, like, we're doomed or this is the beginning of something
3: beautiful or we're We're doomed and beautiful we're, we're beautifully doomed there you go. <laughs> yeah i mean we're we're always in transition, things always change, even if it's on a a subtle level um, it can kind of mirrors the mind sometimes you know there there are subtle aspects of the mind that we don't typically notice uh then there are. Elements of the mind that are like tragic and huge and epic, right? So, so too is society. Uh, Yeah, I, I think we are going through some changes. And those who are clamoring to try to bring, trying to get back to normalcy is sort of an empty dream. Um or we we would say is illusionary or delusionary. Yeah. That ain't gonna happen in any sense of the word. In, in, in any way. Uh there's just so much changing right now. And it's it's difficult. Is this gonna be the last pandemic? Seriously? No, I don't think so. We're fortunate that it wasn't something uglier than COVID-19. It could have been something uglier than COVID-19, right? Uh, as bad as it, that is, it could have been something worse. A worse virus. Right? So this is going to be part of our landscape. One, um, even when we get the vaccine, if we get the vaccine. Uh, this kind of reminds me of the uh, 90s, 80s and 90s with HIV, right? um, Maybe people now have a little insight to what the LGBTQ community had, went, went through. Right? Then there's uh, the social justice, which is like, boom, it, it's just blossomed in a way that is never have before. Right. Um, which is amazing, and and I, I think people, are all people, most people, are just getting fed up. I think people are just getting fed up with these images and and just the blatant racism, blatant discrimination, and it's, it's Confederate flag is coming down off of uh, of the uh, Mississippi state house like right? that's huge yeah um so that's a huge change that's not going to change that's not going to turn around the, you know the black lives matter is not not going to like evaporate the issue of social justice is not going to evaporate this time it hit that classic tipping point things build up go 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 and then all of a sudden boom they hit this Tipping point. So do monastics
2: like sit around the fire and talk about things like that? I mean, without having the phone that's, you know, is feeding you like the negative news cycle all day. Or I mean, are these the
3: topics of discussion? Oh, well, for some, yeah, not for all, for some. Um, and then, then we have the economic injustice. Crisis, which is taking place, people are on the verge of being uh, evicted and and lost their job and so forth. And so, this all this is going to have to be restructured for some kind of recovery, like like in the depression, we went through uh, some huge changes through the depression.
2: So, how does now, someone th- find like optimism? Like, how does someone that's in the midst of, let's say, losing their job and they have kids to feed, like, how do, you, how do you find a sense of, not light at the end of the tunnel, but like growth or transformation in a, in a positive way?
3: That's a good question. That's a really good question. And I'm a little hesitant to even try to approach that question. Um because i'm speaking of somebody else's experience right you know and that's a difficult thing to do uh you know it, it starts with these some of these basic questions you know is this all there is or is there something more is there some beauty in the world amidst all of this is there beauty in me so helping to alleviate some of the, the suffering and difficulty comes about by not just seeing the ugliness in the world, but seeing some of the positive and the beauty in the world. Right? Yeah, we, we get a lot of messaging about the ugliness. I, I've said, yeah, it's I- constant. Right, I, I, I watch the news, you know, I, I listen to the news, I read the news. We need to know these things as harsh as they are and we need to realize our place in all of this um
0: i always
3: find i'm sorry as a white monastic you know what's my part in this do i have inherent uh am i part of this inherent structural white um domination. Uh, so yeah, there are these hard questions, there are these hard images, there are these hard truths of life. But also, is there any beauty to look at? And, and that we kind of have to flesh out for ourselves, because the news won't provide us that. Yeah. You know, maybe they'll do a little human interest or <laughs> <you know? laughs>
2: That's, that's not how they make their money. Um, yeah, but what do they say if it bleeds, it leads. Right?
3: Exactly. So we, we have to find that through and using our own practices and those questions. You know, is there more? Is there beauty in the world? And if you look in the world, if you look in your own life, if you look in yourself, uh, there is beauty. And, there is. And, Actually, there's and, something. And it's, not, and, 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 and it's not scarce. Yeah, it's all around you. It's all looking. around you if you look for. Now, some people think that might be some type of escapism. Uh, I don't think so. It could possibly be for some people. I don't know. But those issues, those difficult issues, will always be there, right? Uh, one way or another. Even though it, it, rent is, even though rent is due, I can still look at something beautiful and be nourished by that.
2: And even if it's on some level a coping medicine, it's like a, a coping yeah. mechanism. It's a medicine. It's not yeah. necessarily like e- um, escapism. It's just a tool that you're using to better your life. It, it doesn't make the other things disappear. There's something I, I really, another thing that I took a practice from the um, silent retreat we're on, uh, mm-hmm. the walking meditations, walking with you, is very different than all the walking I was used to prior to walking with you.
3: Oh good.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> and now that's one of the practices that is part of my own journey that I'm finding like just immense beauty in. Walk for the listeners, walking with Brother Fat Vu means you are walking slowly. To, to say the least, <laughs> there, there's, no, there's no place to get to. It's just this step and taking it all in. And then this step and what is there to, and just being open to whatever the experience is. And I remember walking down that driveway every day, very slowly, pausing often, and being quick to just stop and stare like often, and I'd never really walked that slowly and paid that much attention to everything. And you see things that you don't would otherwise see. And now, yeah. as the life situation has flipped, like my schedule upside down, because my business was shut down, I'm, and my kids' school was shut down, I'm walking every day by myself in nature and, you know, without having an anchor with the practice with you of knowing like this is something to do and there's a, so there's a medicine in there to look for, like I didn't, I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have just exercised more or something, you know, in a gym. But this was been a profound daily routine for me where I'm taking time out and, you know, I'm finding joy, I'm cre. I'm cultivating joy and happiness out of thin air. And after dinner, I'm going on a walk with my kids almost every single day. And, wow. and I'm walking back. I remember just the other day, I'm walking, we have this long driveway, and we're walking back, we usually walk the dogs. And I'm walking with my daughter who's 16, who, you know, is going through who knows, like, who knows, only she could know how this, how she's experiencing all this—it's you know—it's new for everybody, and you know we're talking about this idea of like back to normal, and I'm like I don't want back to normal. Back to normal—I wasn't—I wasn't able to walk with my daughter like this. Like this has become wow. not just a, a highlight, like a precious time of my a day where I get to connect with you know one of my greatest teachers, my child someone who I admire and is really one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I get to get a little glimpse into her life and her experience. And we get to talk about things that we never really made time to talk about. And I don't want to go back. I don't want to lose that. Um, And I could, I could choose to find like all this beauty and get all this excitement about like, look at this new thing. And now I'm like, Oh no. When she goes to college, I'm not going to be able to walk with her every day and you know it's part of some it's the ever changing environment it is it is trans um transition always it is transformation and um you know there is no going back so where do you want to find beauty in front of you where do you want to find beauty right as Thich Nhat Hanh said the happiness is the right here right now yeah and we gotta we have to have our eyes open, we gotta be looking for it. And it's it's really a mindset. It's an uh it's an approach. Are we looking for it?
3: Yeah, yeah. It, it it's it's the the mind is so busy with so much stuff. And we we tend to think it's the things out there that we have to attend to that's making my my mind so busy. No, you you sit down for a minute, right? Put everything down. Sit down for a minute. Your mind is making things up. Your mind is making <laughs> so much up. It's such a busy thing, you know. And we miss we miss so much. And when I talk about seeing things that are more than us, or seeing myself bigger than us, we, we can't even touch that stuff with our busy mind we we got to slow it down a bit, give it a break, um, develop some attention and, and, and focus, and, and to drop off all that busyness that keeps us entertained, uh, rather than mm, open to possibilities. But that openness comes from when we start putting down that busy mind, putting that aside. Yeah. that's why there's that, that's why there's practice. When the, our Bodhi nature, our true nature, our ultimate nature that's revealed to us out of a mind of the greater stillness and composure and, and not disbursement, yeah. not here and there.
2: That's, that's beautiful. Um, we're coming up on an hour here and I want to respect your time. Um, I would love for the listeners to be able to learn more. If there's a resource you, you recommend for them to reach out and learn more about your teachings and offerings of the organization that you spend your time with, is there, uh, a way that they could reach out and learn more, or maybe contribute or
3: donate. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's dharmapathways.org. Okay. And we will link uh, this
2: into the show notes for, for the listeners out there.
3: Um, that's a good way. I am, I'm just finishing up two classes, teaching two classes. I'm just finishing up. And then I am, I think I'm taking a Zoom break. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 isn't there a new term for zoom overload um, yeah I'm going to take a little zoom break yeah. uh, and, and so but you can keep up on dharma pathways and what the monastics there are doing but also if you really want to get more into the teachings I, I would suggest to go to the, the Plum Village website plumvillage.org. And uh, they are so impressive on how much they've expanded their offerings. It's quite amazing. I think they've, they have finally got some top-notch tech people in there. Oh, that's good. And, and they're offering a great deal of things, and I, I highly recommend them.
2: Yeah. Now, are they hosting retreats currently in this environment? or
3: No, they're, they're closed, at least, at least not at the monasteries. Um, online, they're doing a great many things. like like many other places all
2: right well that is terrific um i want to thank you again not just for taking the time today to share some thoughts with the listeners but really personally for the lessons that you've uh, showed me and you know the things that you've presented that's helped me open my eyes and help me navigate my own journey. I uh, thank you for that. And, um, and I'm really grateful for what you do and I'm honored to, to help you share your message. And for the listeners out there, I wanna thank you guys for tuning in and gifting us with your listening. And I encourage you to check out in the show notes, these resources that Brother Fapvu mentioned And learn more and see if you could uh, find something that could be helpful in your own journey and maybe find a a new medicine or new practice for you Uh, thanks again and i hope you listeners enjoy the rest of your day and stay tuned for more episodes on the horizon
1: well i want to thank the listeners again for tuning in for that episode i hope you got some value out of that conversation i know i sure did I'm a huge fan of Brother Fap and I really look forward to finding more ways to learn from him in the future, hopefully in person again when the world kind of opens up a little bit more. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. I'm really grateful for the listening that you provided. And if you don't mind, if you haven't yet, if you're enjoying these episodes, please go on and fill out a review and let us know what you think, and if you have any comments or suggestions, and I'm, I'm very open. This, I'm still relatively new at this, and I'm really looking for feedback, so I appreciate uh, any feedback that you could offer. If you also have any guests that you think would be useful for our audience, that people would enjoy, feel free to let me know, and I'll do what I can to reach out to them. Again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you have a terrific day.